Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly, Crisis in the Middle East. Amid hospital raids and truce proposals, President Joe Biden responds to the deadly drone strike in Jordan. We have the latest. Controversial move. House Republicans inch closer to taking a rare step of impeaching a cabinet official. We're on Capitol Hill. Mark your calendar. The United States Supreme Court announces the date to hear a high-stakes abortion pill case. Host of EWTN's Pro-Life Weekly, Prudence Robertson, explains. And stick to the classics. Why American Catholic schools are rising in popularity. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us. Our top story tonight, President Joe Biden says that he has made a decision on how to respond to the brazen attacks that left three U.S. soldiers dead. This weekend's explosion in Jordan injured dozens more troops, leaving some with traumatic brain injuries. President Biden also addressed concerns over a wider war. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, President Joe Biden has spoken with the families of the fallen soldiers, and he'll attend the dignified transfer of their remains at Dover Air Force Base this coming Friday. Now, this morning, the president addressed a very tense situation in the Middle East before heading for Florida for campaign fundraisers. Upon leaving the White House, President Joe Biden is asked whether he holds Iran responsible for the deadly attacks on American troops in Jordan. I do hold them responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it. The Biden administration blames the drone attack on Iranian-based proxies. And today, the president also told reporters... I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking for. The troops at the small installation that was struck were deployed as part of Operation Inherent Resolve. These troops were conducting a vital mission in the region aimed at helping us work with partners to counter ISIS. Well, ISIS um, is definitely a real threat. At the International Religious Freedom Summit, one expert described the current threat posed by the terror group. The ISIS caliphate was destroyed in this since they no longer have this huge swath of land that they used to have from Iraq to Syria. But unfortunately, the ideology isn't dead. And the ideology is, you can find it really throughout the world. And U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says this is an incredibly volatile time in the Middle East. I would argue that we have not seen a situation as as dangerous as the one we're facing now across the region since at least 1973. Also, when he was leaving the White House today for Florida, President Biden responded to my question about former President Donald Trump battling to stay. Should Donald Trump be allowed on the ballot? Should Donald Trump be allowed on the ballot? Why is he leading in the polls if he's a threat to democracy, as you say? Because guys like you. What, what am I doing? Come on, come on. As you can see there, he told me he was teasing. Now, an update for you tonight. Trump is staying on the primary ballot in Illinois. The state's election board today declined to remove him. Illinois is one of several states where Trump critics have pushed to boot him from the ballot based on the January 6th Capitol riot. And very soon, this is all headed to the U.S. Supreme Court. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Well, in the Middle East, one proposal for a pause in fighting receives two very different responses. Representatives from the U.S., Israel, Qatar, and Egypt outlined a framework that would begin with a six-week ceasefire to allow for the release of hostages. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu immediately rejected the deal, saying Israel would not withdraw its troops from Gaza. 
The Prime Minister's comments come as Hamas's political chief said the group was considering their proposal. Meanwhile, the violence has spread to the West Bank. The Israeli military says troops dressed as a civilians stormed a Palestinian hospital in Janine, killing three militants, including a Hamas commander. The dramatic raid, which took less than 15 minutes, is prompting fears the crisis is spiraling out of control. And as we mentioned yesterday, a coalition of global leaders have gathered in the nation's capital for the annual International Religious Freedom Summit. There they discuss the role that each faith group has in the push for world peace. Here are a few highlights. We're trying to build a biblical narrative based on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus challenged his followers to go and do likewise, to help those in need regardless of their race, religion, or ethnicity. And that's something I want my church to be known for. And I think it's incumbent that we all work with our own spaces to challenge our own brothers and sisters based on our own sacred scriptures to, to extend a hand, to find a way to lead so that we can all step forward based on a common appreciation of human dignity and human rights. Sharif, you didn't cry for this, the pain of this boy. You have problem with your humanity. That means we must feel the pain of all the human beings in Haifa, in Tel Aviv, in Kfar Gaza, in Gaza, in Africa, in Europe. All the boys, they are equal, not different between the category of the boys. All the boys, they are boys. We must love all the human being. This is what our motto, love for all, hatred for none. And the IRF summit wraps up tomorrow. House Republicans are moving closer to impeaching Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over the border crisis. It is the first time in nearly 150 years that the chamber will try to remove a member of the president's cabinet. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us with that story. Eric? Good evening, Tracy. Yes, the fireworks came early as the House Homeland Security Committee marked up two impeachment articles. The allegations charged Secretary Mayorkas committed high crimes and misdemeanors, accusing him of willful and systemic refusal to comply with the law and claim that he's breached public trust. And for these reasons, lawmakers say he must go. Secretary Mayorkas' actions have forced our hand. We cannot allow this border crisis to continue. We cannot allow fentanyl to flood across our border, our criminals to waltz in undeterred. Democrats fired back, coming to the secretary's defense. Republicans have failed to make a constitutionally viable case to impeach Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, a dedicated public servant. The sham impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas is a baseless political stunt by extreme mega Republicans. House Republicans from Texas held a presser saying the secretary's failure at his job is cause for impeachment. They charge the Biden administration can protect the border now, but won't. The Biden administration, let's be clear, has every single authority that the Trump administration has. They have more resources than the Trump administration has, but they refuse to do anything about it when it comes to securing our border. Texas Republicans say they stand with Governor Greg Abbott and what he is doing is well within his authority. And in Article 1, Section 10, it says if there is an invasion or, this is important, imminent danger such that will not permit delay, the state has the sovereign constitutionally protected power to defend its border, protect its citizens. Democrat Dan Goldman claims Republicans are trying to stop the administration from securing the border while blaming the president for the crisis. The hypocrisy is the least of it. 
Your attack on the rule of law and our democracy is the worst of it. And you better be careful about the bed that you make. House Democrats ended up releasing a 29-page report defending Secretary Mayorkas's actions. House Speaker Mike Johnson vows to hold a final impeachment vote as soon as possible, and that could come as early as next week. Now, there would be then a Senate trial, but it's highly unlikely Secretary Mayorkas would be convicted because two-thirds vote would be needed. Tracy? Well, Eric, I also understand there is a uh, developing story involving Missouri Congressman Cory Bush and an investigation by the Department of Justice. What more can you tell us? Yes, that is correct. The DOJ is conducting a criminal investigation against Congresswoman Cori Bush. Now, the Justice Department is looking into alleged misspending of her security allowances. In addition to their salaries, each lawmaker is given allowances to cover personal expenses while carrying out their duties. Now, earlier today, the Democratic Congresswoman said that she had beefed up her personal security due to threats to her physical safety. Records show that she paid her then-boyfriend, who is now her husband, more than $100,000 to work as one of her security guards. She denies using any federal tax dollars for personal security services. In accordance with all applicable uh, rules, I retained my husband as part of my security team to provide security services because he has had extensive experience in this area and is able to provide the necessary services at or, or below fair market rate. The congresswoman says that she is fully cooperating with the investigation and denies any wrongdoing. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including abortion battle. The Supreme Court is set to hear arguments in a highly anticipated case regarding abortion pills. Prudence Robertson, host of EWTN's Pro-Life Weekly, has the latest. Plus, Maine Governor Janet Mills pushes a measure regarding abortion and the state constitution. How pro-life lawmakers are responding. Lawmakers in France have overwhelmingly approved a measure to put abortion into the country's constitution. It is the first step in a process that also requires a vote in the Senate. President Emmanuel Macron says he supports the proposal, adding it is in response to the passage of several pro-life laws here in the United States. Speaking of which, there are a number of pro-life issues updates today. And for that, we turn it over to Prudence Robertson, host of Pro-Life Weekly. Prudence. That's right, Tracy. Less than two years ago, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, doing away with the invented constitutional right to an abortion. But the fight over access to this life-ending procedure hasn't stopped. On March 26th, the justices will hear oral arguments in cases regarding access to the drug mifepristone, which is used in chemical abortions. The manufacturer of the drug, Danco Laboratories, and the Justice Department won a review of an August decision by an appeals court that limits the availability of the pill. The court found the FDA didn't take into account safety concerns when it approved mifepristone for sale in 2000 and later, expanding its accessibility in 2016. The drug has been banned in many states where abortion is tightly regulated. The appellate court ruling is on hold for now until the Supreme Court makes a decision. And in Pennsylvania, the state's highest court says a lower court must hear a challenge to a law that limits the use of taxpayer dollars via Medicaid 
to cover the cost of abortions. The ruling is a victory for Planned Parenthood and other abortion businesses that filed the lawsuit. It also means Pennsylvania could move closer to adding abortion to its constitution. A decades-old law had banned the use of state Medicaid dollars for an abortion except in limited cases. A pro-life lawmaker says that in yesterday's ruling, the state Supreme Court overstepped its authority. And in Maine, Governor Janet Mills and other Democratic lawmakers are seeking to enshrine abortion in the state constitution following similar measures by several other states. In the meantime, Maine has already had some of the least restrictive abortion laws in the country. In a statement released on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, the governor, Janet Mills, said in part, quote, we find ourselves once again facing the real fear of regressing, of returning to the time when women's health was of secondary concern. We have an obligation to prevent that from happening and to protect and defend the right to reproductive health care. Tracy, I'll be following all of these court cases as well as abortion ballot initiatives in state elections and bringing you those decisions as they happen throughout the year. Back to you. Okay, thank you so much, Prudence. Always have your pulse on everything pro-life. And joining us now to talk more about what is happening in Maine is Representative Jack Ducharme, a Republican from Maine. Representative Ducharme, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. So tell us, what is behind this push to put abortion into the state constitution there, especially since so-called abortion access dramatically expanded last summer, going from being banned at about 24 weeks to being allowed at any point if deemed medically necessary. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me on. Um, the lead-up to this was talking about the governor's uh, quote as far as um, women's health care. I find it interesting that that when the governor was running for office, for re-election for office, that was about the same time that the Supreme Court decision was made. And in her re-election, she talked about making no change in Maine's abortion law. Since that time, we've had LD 1619, which basically enshrined in statute the single most permissive abortion law in the United States. It allows the killing of a baby right up until the moment of birth if they can get some a doctor to sign off on it. It's a horrible change from Maine's prior law, which was bad enough, but at least it limited late-term abortions. Yeah, Maine is going in the wrong direction, that is for sure. Uh, Democratic Senator Eloise Vitelli, who's a sponsor of LD 780, known as the Reproductive Rights Amendment, um, had said in part, quote, reproductive health is a fundamental human right and deserves the same level of protection as our other constitutionally protective rights. Um, Representative Ducharme, I want to get your thoughts on that comment. And also, how are pro-lifers responding to this bill? Well, um, responding to her comment, um, I, I guess my comment would be the same as how we're responding to this all the time. All life is precious. Abortion is the taking of one's life without their consent. And God said, thou shalt not kill. Um, it's interesting to note that while uh, Senator Vitelli is the, is the uh, sponsor of this bill, after Governor Mills was elected uh, as governor, uh, she hired a chief of staff and her chief of staff's prior employment before he became the chief of staff was a director of advocacy for Planned Parenthood of Northern New England. Very interesting indeed. 
How much support does this bill have? You, do you think it's going to pass? And what can be done to prevent this culture of death that we're seeing here in Maine? Well, I, I think that one of the things about a constitutional amendment in the state of Maine is there's a fairly high bar uh, to change the Constitution. Um, this resolution will require a two-thirds vote uh, on the floor uh, of both houses, and the um, they don't have two-thirds vote unless they uh, unless they have support from our side of the aisle. Um, we're pretty much 100% uh, um, opposed to making this a constitutional amendment. Um, our caucus has stood uh, fairly strong on this issue, uh, and I, I think that getting a two-thirds vote uh, in the legislature will be a difficult lift. Uh, it's just one of those things we have to remember that elections have consequences, and this is one of the consequences. We get laws like this, and we get attempts to do things like this. Well, Representative Ducharme, thank you for coming on. Thank you for all you do. We're going to stay on this and continue to follow this. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, police are investigating the deaths of a retired Orlando priest and his sister and why they were targeted by an alleged killer. Police believe Father Robert Hoffner and his sister Sally were killed by 24-year-old Brandon Kappas before he went to a family party on Sunday and killed his grandfather. Kappas was fatally shot by police after he wounded two officers. Authorities said they found an arsenal of weapons in Kappas's vehicle. So far, no word on a possible motive. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, Tractor Jam, why farmers in France have placed the capital city under siege. Plus, Pope Francis approves a diocese in China. We'll explain. Minister of France is promising to provide aid to farmers who are protesting as they seek better pay and fewer constraints in the marketplace. The protesters have left tractors strewn across highways. They also put scarecrows on bridges, all in an attempt to get the government's attention. The prime minister says the farmers are worried about their futures and their livelihood. Protesters say if their demands are not met, they will begin to move inside the capital of Paris. North Korea has tested a newly developed strategic cruise missile. Photos from state media show leader Kim Jong-un watching as missiles are launched from submarines. Pyongyang recently said that it had launched a new submarine and has discussed building one with nuclear capabilities. Tensions on the Korean peninsula have increased in recent months. This comes amid North Korea's threat of nuclear conflict with the United States and its allies in Asia. Well, the Vatican has created a new diocese in mainland China. One report says the diocese of Wang Fang comes with the unspoken recognition that the Holy See agreed with borders drawn by China's communist government. The church is believed to have around 147 jurisdictions in China. The communist government has claimed only 104 exist. Well, finally tonight, here in the United States, it is Catholic Schools Week. The initiative began back in 1974. This year's theme is Catholic Schools United in Faith and Community. According to numbers from the National Catholic Education Association, currently there are 5,900 Catholic schools in the United States, and they serve almost 1.7 million students. Nearly one quarter of them 
are part of a racial minority. And now we go to Lincoln Snyder, president of the National Catholic Education Association. Lincoln, great to have you back on. Appreciate it. Uh, we know the annual report with the updated numbers on Catholic education uh, that will not be released until March. That said, can you give us a snapshot now of how Catholic schools are doing in the United States? This is a great time for Catholic schools in the United States. Uh, yet our report does not come out till March, uh, but I can share that overall the numbers show that this is a uh, very stable time for Catholic schools. We in enjoyed some very strong growth coming out of the pandemic, and then our numbers have stabilized or grown in most dioceses across the country. Yeah, I ended an opinion piece today in the National Catholic Register. Uh, it says that classical education is on the rise in Catholic schools. Let's talk more about that. And what other trends are you noticing? You know, this is um, classical education uh, is a, a very exciting new charism that is working its way into our schools in the United States. Uh, one of the great things about Catholic education is we've always had a variety of schools and within the context of of the church, uh, the spirit has found ways to work through communities in unique ways to help help uh, people. And so uh, uh, we've always ex uh, enjoyed a wide variety of types of schools, uh, classical education, along with some other new modalities like the Cristo Rey schools or dual language immersion schools, I, I think are great answers to uh, the needs of families and children today. Yeah. Yesterday, uh, we reported on something, kind of, you know, very concerning. It was a discontinued scholarship program in Illinois, mm -hmm. and that allowed hundreds of students to attend Catholic schools. Even more disappointing there, it may lead to the closure of two Catholic schools. Um, are you seeing this, you know, kind of these efforts maybe across the United States? And how could this hurt Catholic schools? And is there a push somehow to help these schools? Yeah, well, of course, we were concerned about the loss of the Illinois program. However, taken on a whole, this has been a great time for choice and choice movements in, st in states across uh, across our country. We've seen many states uh, enter into new choice programs, for example, Utah. And then we've seen states that have effective programs like Florida or Indiana uh, see growth uh, and uptake, greater uptake by families and participation in these programs. So, yeah, of course, we we're very saddened uh, to see uh, uh, what happened in Illinois, but Taken on the whole, this is a very good time for families that are interested in taking advantage of a choice program. Yeah, Lincoln, uh, money could be a problem for some parents uh, when it comes to Catholic education. What would you say to those parents, and are there things like other scholarships that could be helpful to them? Absolutely. Our schools are community schools first, and so we're very proud to have maintained the parochial model and nature of our schools, especially our elementary schools. Most of them are connected to, our, to a parish. Uh, almost all schools give... Uh, discounts for parishioners and or uh, need-based uh, tuition aid for families of, of lesser means. And so, uh, you know, we're very proud of our network's ability to uh, recognize that that although we are tuition-driven, we're not only tuition-driven. We really are community schools in our character, and we do our best to be uh, affordable for families uh, of all walks of life. Before we let you go, quickly, uh, tell parents why they should send their children to Catholic schools, especially during this time in our society. We believe that Catholic schools are one of the most effective instruments of evangelization for the church. And one of the things that means in practice for our families is we are really good as a system at forming servant leaders in Christ. And so children that graduate from Catholic schools go on to be uh, anchors for their communities uh, in, in churches and in, in other service roles uh, for the years to come. We're very proud of the leadership uh, at all levels that our graduates have provided to their, their church communities and the broader American society in general. Lincoln, thank you so much for coming on. Always appreciate it. God bless. Thank you so much. God bless.
And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night, and God bless.